Man, yeah. I hope y'all like that song as much as I like it. We, we play that probably two to three times a month upstairs on Wednesday nights, and it's awesome. Um, y'all did great. AJ, thank you for playing that. Um, but good morning. Um, hopefully y'all have enjoyed this weather as good as I have enjoyed this weather this week. Um, today's kind of a letdown, but this week was great. Um, if you're visiting with us, I'm not Pastor Jim. Um, I am Jacob. Um, I'm the student pastor here. Also, I'm over outreach. Um, and so it's good to be with y'all this morning. Pastor Jim and Miss Debbie left Friday morning um, to just get away for the weekend, kind of re-energize. Um, so they are in Williamsburg. Um, if you need something, please contact me, AJ or Aaron. Um, kind of just let him be. And so we are going to continue in our John series. I'm just picking up right where Pastor Jim left off. And this is our 11th series, our 11th part in the series. Um, and so we're just going to we're going to keep trucking. Um, and so Pastor Jim's been talking about how chapter three is kind of a series within a series. It is a mini series. Um, and so today is our second part of it. Um, we did one through eight last week and we're going to do nine through 16 today. And if you didn't listen to last week's message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because it was it was awesome. Um, so we're going to walk verse by verse through this text, and then I'm going to conclude with an application. So turn with me to John 3, 9 through 16. 9 through 16. John writes, How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied, I assure you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I've told you about these things that happen on earth and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about things of heaven? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, I pray that your spirit continues to fill this place. Lord, let us open up our hearts to your word. Let your word sink in. But Lord, understand. let us understand that it's not about me, it's not about us, but Father, this time is all about you. And so I pray that right now you just push me behind the cross and let your glory be shown and spoken through your word. Father, we love you. We give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. So my title this morning is Take Off the Blinders. Take Off the Blinders. When I thought about this passage, that instantly I thought about blinders on a horse. Um, I've been living with the Moors. Me and Tanner have been taking care of the horses this week. Um, it's been great. Um, but you think about blinders on a horse, right? It limits your view to what you can see. And so with this weather being the way it is, Sunday, um, last Sunday, as soon as church was over and I talked to everybody, I was gone. I went fishing. I had to be back at the church at 5 for a staff meeting, and then we had a deacon's meeting at 6. So I had about four hours where I could get out and go fishing. And so previously, um, Friday, Thursday night, I left here and went to Raleigh to visit one of my friends. Um, we fished in high school together. We fished when I was at state together. Um, and so we got up Friday morning and went to Falls Lake on his bass boat. And went to Falls Lake and we got up early, got on the lake, and man, we were killing them, right? We, we picked up the pattern in like the first hour. He had an eight pounder in the boat. It was gonna be a good day, let me tell you. 
And so we got on the pattern. We knew where we were fishing. We knew what to fish, what kind of structure, uh, water temp, clarity, and all that stuff. And so I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go Sunday, and I'm going to do that exact same thing, and I'm going to smack them. Let me tell you. I was getting excited because it was beautiful weather. And I went out there, and that's the opposite of what happened. So I was out there for four hours, and I caught two fish, and they were nowhere near each other. So I caught one probably within the first 45 minutes, and I was throwing the exact same bait I was throwing on Friday, which was kind of dumb because it is a different body of water. It is different structure. The water clarity was different. The water temp, I had no idea what the water temp was. I didn't have any electronics on my kayak. And so the water temp makes a big difference. The, the water clarity makes a big difference. If you know anything about fishing, you know that different things make di- different differences. Wow, that didn't make sense at all. But they make a difference. And so I knew that I should change what I was throwing. And I knew I should change where I was focusing on fishing. But for some reason, I couldn't convince myself to do so because I knew what had worked just a couple days before. And like Nicodemus, I found myself asking, how can this be? I understand this. I know that this works. How can this? Why do I need to do this? Why am I not doing what I've already know to do? Why can I not apply that and understand that? And that's exactly what Christ is doing. Point one. In verses nine through ten, we see the indictment of unbelief. Right? And we pick up right where Pastor Jim left off. We're going to go back up so you can keep going and roll it in context. Look at verse three. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh and whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The winds blow where the pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Then we pick up in verse nine. How can these things be as Nicodemus? Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied. So Nicodemus, remember, he represents religious leaders. He is a Pharisee. And not only is he a Pharisee, but he is the elite. He is a Sanhedrin. He was a man of high moral character, deep religious hunger, and yet so full of spiritual blindness. He says, how can these things be? Right? That, that's his answer to Jesus in verse 9 to what he's speaking from above. And this shows that he has made very little progress from verse 4. Even though that Jesus took the time to clarify it in verses 5 through 8. He still doesn't get it. One commentary writes, Nicodemus's final question to Jesus reveals that he was stuck in intellectual and philosophical quagmire of the flesh. And that the earlier, his earlier lack of comprehension seems to have deteriorated into helpless doubt. So he does not still understand what is going on from verses 5 through 8. He is still mind blown. He couldn't accept what he was hearing because he couldn't get past his legalistic and religious views to realize that salvation was sovereign, was the sovereign grace of God's spirit. And then we see Jesus come in verse 10. 
He says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied. Some translations, the NIV, you may have it. It says, you are the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things. And so just to shed light on what goes on in my head when I read passages, I instantly thought of this picture. And you may have seen this picture, you may have not. But have you ever seen the little meme of this dude? Like, you don't get it? What's going on? Nicodemus, come on. It was Jesus saying, shame on you. You should know these things, right? I'm not making these things up. These are the basic ABCs of biblical religion. And so Jesus found it inexcusable that this was well-known, that this well-known successful scholar was not familiar with the foundational new covenant teachings in the Old Testament regarding the way of salvation. Pastor Jim talked about last week, the new birth is necessary because that which is born of flesh is flesh and you cannot get spirit from flesh. If you want to grow an oak tree, you have to plant an acorn. Not a strawberry. It's the same concept. The flesh yields only flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So Jesus was not talking to Nicodemus about spiritual rebirth. Not the mere repetition of the biological process. He just couldn't grasp the meaning of new birth. That is what all of last week was driven toward. So Paul writes, we find him writing to the church of Rome, this same situation about them, condemning them. 10, 2 through 4, he says, I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but according, but not according to the knowledge. Because they disregarded the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, the law was a signpost pointing the way. It can never take them to their destination. The law cannot give righteousness. It only leads the sinner to the Savior who can give righteousness. So Jesus is indicting Nicodemus for his unbelief. And understand this. Nicodemus was an Old Testament scholar. He was a bright, bright man. You can understand the Bible from front to back. You can know it like the back of your hand. But that does not mean that you will truly grasp its meaning. Some of us have become spiritually blind to God's truth. And then we come to point two. Verses 11 and 12. The problem with unbelief. So we pick up in verse 11. I assure you. We speak what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but you, you do not accept our testimony. If I've told you about things that happen on earth and you don't believe me, how will you believe me if I tell you about things of heaven? Right, so Jesus is following up his indictment with another clarification to Nicodemus of why he has a problem with believing. And so look how he starts verse 11. Right, he says, I assure you, right, I am speaking truth here. We speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. And so for the English people, I'm going to stick to my notes for this. The shift from singular to plural should be carefully noted right here. The verse begins with first person singular, I, addressing the second person singular, you. So I, being Jesus, assure you, Nicodemus. Then we see the shift made after that. 
The shift is then made from first person plural, we and our, addressing the second person plural, you. And that's very, very important. The pronouns we and our refer to Jesus speaking on the behalf of himself and his father. And then we see you at the end. If I tell you about these things, the you then not only goes to Nicodemus, but it goes to the whole nation of Israel and all of the unbelievers within it. The Jewish people did not accept the testimony of Jesus or of his of the teaching of his true followers. We've already discussed this back at the beginning of this series in John 111. He writes, he came to his own and his people did not receive him. Their unbelief is what maintained their spiritual ignorance. And so Jesus says, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you, right? He says, but you do not accept our testimony because of your unbelief, because of your spiritual ignorance, because of your spiritual blindness. We've we've read from the message translation before when referencing um, the message translation is Eugene Patterson, very smart guy, um, gets up every morning and reads his Bible in the regular text in the Greek and the Hebrew. Really smart dude. And then he then translates it into his translation or a simplified translation of the Bible. And this is what he says about this passage. He says, listen carefully. I don't know if you've ever seen the little dude on YouTube, but he's like, listen, Linda, Linda, listen. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, Nicodemus, listen. I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak only what I know by experience. I give witness only to what I've seen with my own eyes. There is nothing secondhand here. This is no heresy. And then we pick up in verse 12 in the Holman. Jesus continues. He says, if I've told you about things that happen on earth and you don't believe, how will you believe about things that happen in heaven? Because of Nicodemus's refusal to believe, he cannot even fathom earthly things, the earthly truth of the new birth. Not to mention the heavenly things as relationship of the father and the son, God's kingdom or God's plan of eternal redemption. John MacArthur writes this about Nicodemus. Right There is two sides to Nicodemus' unbelief. First, intellectually. While he acknowledged Jesus to be the teacher sent from God in verse 2, he was unwilling to accept him as God. And then we look at it from spiritually. He was very reluctant to admit that he himself was a helpless sinner since he was a proud member of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. The self-righteous, self-confessed religious elite of Israel. And to take a step further, he was a prominent leader. For Nicodemus to humble himself to admit that he was in spiritual darkness and needed salvation would mean that he would have to confess sinfulness and a lack of righteousness. So what's the problem here? For one thing, the religious leaders would not submit to the authority of Christ. We will see this authority conflict continue as we continue into our John series. The religious leaders claimed to believe Moses, yet they did not believe Jesus in John 5. The Pharisees were more concerned about the praise of men than the praise of God in John 12. Another problem is the pride of the religious leaders. Eugene Patterson writes verse 12 like this. 
He says, yet instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. Let me read that again. Yet instead of facing evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. How often do we procrastinate with questions? If I tell you things that are plain as hand before your face and you don't believe me, what is there me telling you of things you can't see? Things from God. Right? If you can't see this microphone in front of your face that I'm talking to you about, how are you going to be able to see this redemption and grace and love of God that you can't even see? Is your pride blinding you? Is your pride blinding you from God's truth? Many things are mysterious but real. Jesus assures Nicodemus that the new birth is not a fantasy. It was a reality. If a person will believe Christ's words and receive him, he or she will discover how wonderful the new birth is. Pastor Jim talked about it last week. If you do not see change in your life from before and after you accepted Christ, you need to check yourself. And how true is that belief? So we have seen the indictment of unbelief, the problem with unbelief, and now Jesus explains the answer for unbelief. Look at verses 13 through 16. He writes, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way he gave his only Son, so whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so he starts off, he says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven. Right? No one has ever gone into heaven, then came back to earth, able to give uh, clarity of what they have seen in heaven. Besides the one exception, which is Jesus. Right? The son of man. He is the ladder between heaven and earth with access to both. He descended in the incarnation and he ascended in the extension. And we will learn more about this in chapter 6. John writes in verse 33, For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Then in verse 62, Then what if we were to observe the Son of Man ascending where he was before? The combination of ascent and descent is part of the great Christological formulation concerning Jesus. Who had come to the earth from heaven, lived, died, and raised once again with God in heaven. So Jesus, being he defended, descended from heaven, knew the things of heaven. And so he was trying to just clarify that to Nicodemus. You don't understand these things because you're not from heaven. How are you going to understand what I am speaking to you, which is right in front of your face, which is truth, which is no heresy? How are you going to understand that? If you can't understand that, then you definitely are not going to understand heavenly things. Then we come to the Old Testament teaching. And the Old Testament illustration that Jesus uses to further indict and emphasize to Nicodemus that he has absolutely no excuse. Again, he was an expert in the scriptures, but he was so ignorant and blind to the way of salvation. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. 
so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And so Jesus in verse 14 is referring back to numbers in the Old Testament. Numbers 21, 4 through 9 um, is a story that Nicodemus would have been familiar with. Right? It is a story from the Old Testament. It is a teaching. It's a story of sin for the nation uh, rebelled against God and had to be punished. So God, listen to this, God sent fiery serpents. That, that's plenty right there. That bit the people and many died. Right? So not only did he send snakes, which would have freaked me out enough, I would have listened. He sent snakes that bit them and led to people dying. But it is also a story of grace. For Moses intercedes for the people and God provided a remedy. He told Moses to make a brass serpent to lift it up on a pole for all to see. Any stricken person who looked to the serpent acknowledging their guilt and expressing their faith in God's forgiveness would immediately be healed. That would have not taken me long at all to do that. But it is a, also a story of faith. When people looked by faith and understood their sin, they were saved. In verse 14, he says, so the son of man must be lifted up. The term must emphasizes that Christ's death was a necessary part of the plan of salvation. We read about Jesus telling his disciples in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that he was going to be punished. That he was going to be rejected. That he was going to suffer. That he was going to die on the cross and three days later be raised again. It was part of the plan. In John 12, John points out that the Lord's crucifixion was actually the means of his glorification. The cross was not the end of his glory. It was the means of his glory. Warren Mearsby writes, Much as the serpent was lifted up on a pole, the Son of God would be lifted up on a cross. Why? To save us from our sin. In the camp of Israel, the solution of the serpent problem was not killing the serpents, making medicine, or pretending they were not there, passing anti-serpent laws, or climbing the pole. The answer was looking by faith to the uplifted serpent. So in verse 15, he continues. He says, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Right? The whole world has been bitten by sin. Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin and death, Paul writes in chapter 6, God sent his son not to just die for Israel, but for the whole world. So how can a person be born from above? How can a person be saved from eternal punishment? By believing in Jesus Christ. Looking to the serpent in faith brought healing. In a like manner, Christ was the sin for us. And it's the sin that was killing us. As we look to Christ by faith, we are saved. Brass symbolizes judgment. And Christ experienced our judgment when he was lifted on the cross. Christ had to die before man could be born again. He brings death to life. And now we come to one of the most profound and well-known verses in all of Scripture. Verse 16. He writes, For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
Next week, Pastor Jim is going to spend the whole sermon on this verse. And so again, we see God sent his son to die, not for Israel, but for the whole world. And so, how can a person be born from above? How can he or she be saved from eternal perishing? By believing in Christ. By looking to him in faith. On January 8th, or 6th, excuse me, 1850, a snowstorm crippled the city of Colchester, England. And a little, a young teenage boy could not go to church like he did every Sunday. He was unable to get to his church because of the snowstorm. And so he went close by to a primitive Methodist church where um, a layman, a lay leader who was filling in for the pastor that day had no idea really what he was doing. He didn't have a well-prepared sermon, but the boy went anyway, sat in the back left pew, and the, the layman was speaking on the text of Isaiah forty-five twenty-two. He said, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. So for many months up until this event, this young boy had fell into a, a conviction, right? Christ had been laying on his heart, even though his father and his grandfather were both preachers, he did not know if he was truly saved. And so the, the layman was not prepared. He just kept replying, repeating the same verse over and over and over. A man not need go to college to learn to look, he shouted. Anyone can look. A child can look. And about that time, he saw the boy sitting in the back left pew. He said, young man, you look very miserable. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. The young man who had been dealing with conviction then gave his life to the Lord. And he looked by faith. That great preacher's name now is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. In John 4, 9 through 10, God, he writes this. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we may live through him. Love consists in this, not that we were loved, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the propitiation, as the satisfaction for our sins. Romans 5, Paul writes, For while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Right? For rarely will someone die for just a person, though for a person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God, but God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The difference between perishing and living and between condemnation and salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus could well have came to this world as a judge and destroyed every rebellious sinner. But in love, he came to this world as Savior. And he died for us on the cross. He became the uplifted serpent. The serpent in Moses' day brought physical life to dying Jews. But Jesus Christ gives eternal life to anyone who trusts in him. He has salvation for the whole world. In the 1980s, there was a um, there was a film titled Crocodile Dundee, uh, and the boy came from Australia to New York, and he got off the plane, and a reporter met him, and she asked him. She said, "How are you?" He said, "I'm good." She said, "How old are you?" He said, "I don't know." She said, "You don't? How do you not know how old you are?" He goes, "Well, I asked the tribe leader when my birthday was, and he just said in the summer." 
And so she goes, well, you don't. What? Did that mean that he didn't have a birthday? No, it didn't. There was a time when he was unborn and there was a time when he was born. And that change from one status to another happened instantaneously. He just didn't know when it happened. In the same manner, there are lots of people who don't know when they were born again. So a person can be unaware of when he or she became born again, but it is not important to know when or how you became a Christian. It is important to know if you are a Christian, if you have accepted Christ. The only thing that matters is whether you are born again. It is if it is genuine or not. You are either spiritually dead or you are alive to things of God. You are either unregenerate or you are regenerate. There is no in-between state. It's like a pregnancy. There's no uh, almost pregnant state. Likewise, no one is almost regenerate. You either you are or you aren't. The answer for unbelief is belief. It's an understanding of how much God loves you. It's an understanding of the price which Christ paid. It's an understanding that the wrath of Christ that was took on for him was meant for me and for you. It's an understanding that it is the unmeasurable grace given to us. It is more than the cross. It is more than the nails in his hand, the crown on his head, the spear in his side, or the empty tomb. Yes, these things are important. But it is that God loves you so much that he sent Christ to take our place. And when we understand that by taking off the blinders and fully accept him into our lives, we are giving eternal life. Paul writes in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with his heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with his mouth resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul writes, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God was raised from the dead, you will be saved. The answer for unbelief is belief. So last week, I'm going to piggyback on Pastor Jim's final six points. You don't have to have your life in order to come to God. Most people think you have to have those ducks in a row. If you've ever seen that Geico commercial. But you don't. New birth. New life in Christ does not make you perfect. Paul writes in Philippians. To live as Christ. To die as gain. He then writes in 2 Corinthians. The old is gone. The new has come. And when the new has come. That's when Satan is going to work in your life. Because as you lived in the ways of the world. He doesn't have to do a thing. Because you are already living in a sinful world. It's when you come to Christ that he will start working. Think about a baby learning to walk. I've shared this example with the youth. Think about a baby learning to walk. A toddler. A toddler learning to walk is very dependent upon their parents. And like a new believer, we are very dependent upon God. And if that toddler tries to walk by himself, he either trips over something, whether it be his own feet or a toy, he'll bump into something, but something causes that toddler to fall. Same thing with us. 
When we accept Christ, that doesn't mean our life is going to be perfect. We are going to trip. We are going to stumble. But you know what? God is there to help us up and help us keep going. It is the same thing as a toddler learning to walk. And just like that toddler learns to walk, he begins to learn. And then he can run. And then he can do all kinds of things. He can expect change in his life. Just like as a Christian, except in Christ, you will ex- you will see change in your life. From before to after, you will not be the same person. And sometimes you won't even be able to explain it. Your desires of living in a sinful life like you lived before are not there anymore when you accept Christ. To have eternal life, you must be born again and you must accept Christ. And remember that he loves you. That song that they sing is one of my favorite songs. He loves you so much that he gave up his son for you. The question is, what is blinding you? What is the source of your unbelief? Is it pride? Is it past experiences? Maybe it's the tough time you're going through now. What is holding you back from you giving your life to Christ? Right, That Christ was the propitiation. Christ was the satisfaction. There had to be a payment for the sin of the world. And the sin that we committed. But God. So loved the world that he gave his son to be that satisfaction. To take on that wrath. And so today, this morning, you you can come to Christ. Right? We will continue with this series and you will just see how much Christ means. You can accept Christ into your heart. The answer for unbelief is belief in Christ. There is no on the fence belief. You either believe in Christ or you don't. The question is, do you have the blinders on to where you don't understand God's grace and God's love for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your message this morning. I pray that you're just working in the hearts of people. Father, I pray that you are just digging in like you've dug into me this week. Or just let us be real in this time. Or let us just understand the price that Christ paid for us when we didn't deserve it. We weren't at the cross, but our sins were. Lord, let us just grasp the love that you have for us. Lord, we love you. We give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen.